Thanks, thanks, Kristen. Uh, Kristen had mentioned how terrifying this is for her. So, uh, yeah, thank you for sharing, and yeah, we're, we're so glad that you are a part of our church. Um, boy, this feels kind of strange in here because this there's like bald spots here. Can we? Um, <clears throat> we're gonna we're gonna journey together. Can we do an exercise together? Let's all stand up together. And uh, can you, uh, um, we're going we're gonna to try and fill in some of these gaps here, if you can. Um, and as you do that, can you say to three people, let's hear the word. Can you do that with enthusiasm? Yeah, let's, uh, let's mo- maybe move up a row or two. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, the view is different from where you're now sitting, isn't it? It's a little bit different. Your experience uh, of God will uh, potentially be different. Uh, today, this is Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we have one of our Harvest graduates uh, from our youth ministry, Victor Huang, many years ago, uh, is getting married in New York, and so we've got a good number of our people who are there, and then people traveling uh, from different places. So if you're one of the people who are traveling into Orlando, uh, not the best time to travel here, sorry, but uh, we welcome you in the name of the Lord and say thank you so much for coming. I know there are a million different places you could be on Sunday morning, a lot of different places you could choose to worship, a lot of places you could be, but um, we're so thankful uh, that you're our guest today, uh, and as long as, as, as often as the Lord would allow you, uh, we'd love for you to make yourself at home with us. Uh, we'd love for that to happen. So uh, thanks for being here. I want to uh, continue to, to, to journey together. If you could imagine, if I could throw out a question, uh, if, if I could throw out this question for you to chew on and, and think about and maybe get something concrete in your head, if there is one goal that you could accomplish in your life, maybe a goal that it, it might be something that's relevant to you right now, just one thing, man. This is one thing. I just, I just want to get this. Maybe it is to get into um, a certain program uh, in, your, in your schooling. Uh, maybe it's to get into a certain school. Maybe it's to, to get a job, to get a promotion in your current workplace. Maybe you want to raise. Um, maybe it's something about your kids, something about your parents. Like, I want my parents to, uh, to, to get healthy, or I want their relationship to get healthy, or I want my kids to get, you know, <clears throat> to eat vegetables or, I don't know, maybe something about your own health. I want to uh, put on muscle mass or I want to, um, you know, be able to uh, run a mile in five minutes, whatever it is. Think about something like that, okay? So you've got something in your mind, one goal that you have. And if I said to you, hey, listen, I know this guy. <clears throat> He's like 180 years old and he lives up on top of a mountain uh, somewhere, He's a sage. He's a guru at all things in life. And if we go up there and you tell him what your goal, what your dream, what your desire is, he could spend 10 minutes with you and he can kind of dissect and unpack all of the desires of your heart. He can analyze you. He can analyze your your motivations and your desires. And then he can give you one thing. He'll give you one thing that you walk down from the mountain and if you do that one thing, then guaranteed guaranteed that goal will be accomplished. If that could happen, would you go up that mountain to see that guru? 
would you go and see that man? You've tried everything, maybe. I've tried everything in order to do this and that. Uh, I would go see this man, and he would give you something, one word that is specific to you. He says, if you do this, then your goal will be met. Would you do it? I think I would. I would certainly do it. I don't know. It doesn't matter how far it is. If I've been trying for a long time for this one goal, I would definitely do it. Uh, What if that goal was a spiritual goal? Uh, Your goal, that your desire, the one thing I long for, that I I want a spiritual rebuilding. I want to be revived spiritually. I want to love God the way that I used to. I want to be able to fight sin and temptation the way that I used to. I want to be able to look at people and lead me in your love to those around me. I want to go and I want to see people with love. I want my broken life spiritually to be rebuilt. If there was such a person who could tell you in your life, here's the one thing you need to do, would you go and would you talk to this person? Because today, without needing to go anywhere, uh, we're going to go together. And we're going to read the journals of Nehemiah, who's going to help us to understand where spiritual rebuilding comes from and how we can do that. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 8. We've been reading through Nehemiah for the, this is the eighth week in it. And for first seven chapters, Nehemiah has been talking about how to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And starting from the middle of chapter 7, he begins talking about how to rebuild not just the, not the walls that's done, but how to rebuild the people of God who dwell within the walls of Jerusalem. So I want to read Nehemiah chapter 8. This is seven months after the walls have been rebuilt. So you remember last week, the walls have been rebuilt, and everyone now has gone back to their homes. Remember, 90% of the people who came to rebuild live outside of the city. 90% of the only 10% live in Jerusalem. So seven months, they all go to their homes, and then seven months later, this is where we pick up the true story of Nehemiah, uh, his account of the rebuilding of God's people. Um, It starts at the end of Uh, chapter 7, and then it picks up in the first verse of chapter 8, and then we're going to go all the way through. Uh, So just imagine with me this actually happening, because it did 2,500 years ago. When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled back in their towns, okay, they went back home, it says, then all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate, okay, they come back to Jerusalem. They told Ezra the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. Okay, bring out the word of God, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Okay, so men, women, children who could understand intergenerational worship here. He read it aloud from daybreak, okay, break of day, 6 a.m. probably, till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anaya, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, and on his left were Padaiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Whew. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people, well, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, 
Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kita, Azariah, Jotham, Hanan, and Peleah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who instructed the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, that was all one day, on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make booths. Those are like tents, right? Shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square of the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. This is God's word. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty confusing. At least some of the names are. So we, we, we finished the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem last week. These are all done. First seven chapters talking about rebuilding the city's walls. And then the last Six chapters talk about rebuilding the people who dwell within the city walls. We're talking about rebuilding the walls, I'm sorry, rebuilding the people of God. And this is what this wise sage Nehemiah, who sits on top of a mountain, says to you. If you want to rebuild your life, this is what you need to do. Two thoughts this morning. Here's the first one. Rebuilding cannot happen apart from the word of God. Rebuilding cannot happen apart from the Word of God. Okay, so some of you, if, if you said, yeah, you know what, uh, spiritual life, that's my deal, that's my issue, that's my goal, I need to go up and see this guru, here's what he would say to you, you cannot rebuild your life apart from the Word of God. Try as you may, you could do a million different things, you could read a million different books, you could pray a million prayers, but you will never rebuild your life apart from the Word of God. And you see this clearly stated here in Nehemiah. There is a revival of sorts. For six hours on the first day, he's reading the word of God, and they're excited. They fall to their faces in worship. They lift their hands in worship, saying, amen. And then it continues the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Nehemiah is saying, all of this is a product, is a fruit, is a result 
of the preaching, of the teaching of the Word of God. And the first thing that Nehemiah tells us here is that rebuilding cannot happen apart from the Word of God. I know there are a lot of great books out there. My life has been shaped in a lot of ways by a lot of great books. Right? Some of you might say, The Catcher in the Rye. That was a great book. And as you write your college essays, you, you have to write about what is a book that's influenced your life. And you'd write The Catcher in the Rye because you say, I want to be a catcher in the rye. I want to save people who are falling off the cliffs. That's awesome. A lot of great Christian books. When I first gave my life to the Lord, there were a couple books that God really used to, to shape the direction of my life. Uh, Too Busy Not to Pray, The Wonderful Spiritual Life. Throughout my life, there's been books that God has used to really uh, change parts of who I am. But at the end of the day, guys, there will be no rebuilding of your spiritual life unless you are deeply grounded in the Word of God. For some of you, that may be all you need to hear, and you could shut your ears and walk out of here and feel like, okay, I've got what I need. But I want to flesh this out because I don't think any of us Many of us, at least, are hearing this for the first time. This is not something new. We know that we need to be in the Word of God. Because as good as Tim Keller is, as good as John Piper is, as good as Oswald Sanders, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, all these things are great. There is no other book upon which we will rebuild our lives apart from the Word of God. There is no other You can read all of those other things, and please do, but don't make it a substitute for the Word of God. There is no other book, according to the Word of God, who is like a sword of the Spirit that pierces our hearts and able to bring the transformation that the Word of God alone can do. There's no other book, according to the Word of God, that is like honey to the soul of the hearer. There's no other book that is like a hammer that smashes that which is hard and breaks it open in order that the Spirit of God might move within us. There's no other book that's like the seed that is planted that will give life. No other book that's like the pure milk that is the Word of God. There is no other book. There's no other way that we're going to grow and rebuild our lives if we're not in the Word of God. And again, for some of us, that's the only thing we need to hear today. But you've got to take it and you've got to begin to live this. Because we're deluded oftentimes into thinking that if I hear once a week on Sunday, then that's good enough for my spiritual life. And it's not. For six hours, they're hearing the word of God and their lives are being transformed by it. There is no other book. There is no other word. It's like, it, it's like the word of God is steak. And all these other books that you can read are like the steak sauce if you use such a thing or the salt and pepper. You eat the steak, you can do without all of these other things, but you cannot just eat A1 sauce and think that you're getting uh, satisfied. It's like the word of God is, uh, is like french fries, and all of these other books are like ketchup. They help you maybe to enjoy the french fry, but you can't just sit there and open up a, a, a thing of ketchup and start drinking it. It's not gonna work, it's not gonna help. The goal of every good Christian book is that ultimately you would be driven back into this word. That's that's how you gauge, is this a good book for me to read? Is ultimately if it points you back to the ultimate book because this is the only thing upon which you will be able to build and rebuild your life. There's no other. So if we know that, then why is it so difficult for us to do? I think it's, If you're anything like me, there's two reasons why. 
The first is because we're distracted, and the second is we don't desire it enough. And they go hand in hand. Too many distractions and too little desire for the word of God. Is that you? Richard Foster says, here are the three distractions in our day and age. The deepest distractions and hindrances to us going deep, and I've I've quoted this a lot. He said, the three things that will keep us from going deep in our spiritual lives and the three things that will keep us from going deep into the word of God, noise, hurry, and crowds. We've got noise all around us. We've got noise all around us, and they're all calling out to us. They're all beckoning us. They're all wooing us. It's the, it's the noise of work. It's the noise of, 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 of friends and family members. It's the noise of the ministry. It's the noise of, of different books that are speaking to us. It's the noise of, of distraction that calls us away. It's the noise of Fortnite. It's the noise of games that we play. It's the noise of so many things, ESPN, that's speaking into our minds. And we don't want to be quiet long enough for us to really go deep into the Word of God. Are you distracted by noise? Does that keep you from getting into the Word of God? Because if it does, then we won't be able to rebuild our lives. You can know all you want, but the blessing is in the living, in the doing, not in the knowing. There's noise all around us, and a lot of us don't want to be quiet long enough to get into the Word of God. And that leads into the second thing. There's hurry, hurry, hurry. You got to do this. You got to be here. You're driven by where you need to go. You're driven by your schedule, driven by all of these things, driven by the fact that as soon as the kids wake up, it's distraction after distraction after distraction, that you have to counter-distract that with the Word of God. Somehow, you got to figure out a way to get away from the hurry. Some of you say, this is my time in the Word. It's those five minutes right before I go into work. It's those five minutes in the morning when, when I sit on the toilet to go to the bathroom. That's, my, that's where I, I get my feeding of the Word of God. But we're always in a hurry. When's the last time we had unhindered, unhurried time in the Word of God? Because, guys, I, we're not going to get strong apart from the Word of God. We can dress it up, we can fake people out for as long as we can, but at the end of the day, the fruit of our lives is going to show. And it will be decrepit, it will be rotten if we're not grounding our lives upon this book. Hurry is keeping us from the Word of God. And then there's crowds, crowds of people. And the crowds don't need to be in places where you go, the crowds will come to you in the form of social media. The crowds will come to you in the form of a, a ping on your cell phone that says, hey, we're doing this. The crowds will come to you, and the temptation is to want to go where the crowds are because you have a fear of missing out, because you don't want to uh, be left out from the crowd because of a billion other things, but noise, hurry, and crowd and all kinds of distractions are going to keep you from the Word of God, and the enemy specializes in these things. Are you distracted from the Word of God? Is your spiritual life becoming weaker and weaker? Isn't it true? Okay. If you, if you think back to the trajectory of your spiritual life, the times when you were most strong for God in your relationship with God, you track back that trail, isn't it because you were most 
deeply in the Word of God during those times? I'm not talking about this is when I was most emotional for God or most excited for God or most passionate for God. Passion is like fashion. That comes and goes, but it's principle that is invincible, that never changes. When you are most deeply convicted in your heart that these things are true and it's worth giving my life to, when you knew in your heart of hearts that choosing Christ would be better than choosing sin and you had the strength and the desire to carry that out, in those times, those times when you were most Strong for God were the times when you were in the Word of God the most. And if you disagree, then it's because you probably haven't had long seasons where you're actually in the Word of God. And if that's the case, then I've got some really good news for you. If you've been, you think you've been going well spiritually apart from being in the Word of God, then here's the good news. You've only begun to scratch the surface of your spiritual potential because you will not be rebuilt apart from the Word of God. There's no mistakes about it. And if you've been doing okay apart from the Word of God, then you've only begun to to dig the very baseline foundation of all of the potential that you could grow if you actually do get into the Word of God. Because this Word changes lives. It changes nations. It changes cultures. And it has. Our nation, America, our founding fathers, founded the country on the Word of God and the mandates of Scripture. You could go back and you could read count from, from Daniel Webster to Patrick Henry to George Washington, on and on and on and on. They said you cannot build a nation and rightly govern apart from the teaching of Scripture. But we've become distracted. We're distracted by so many things that pull us away. And when you have distraction, look at what he says in, in, in verse eight, he, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses. Saying they came together for one purpose. We need to get the word of God. Unless you make it a conscious decision to get into the word of God, you will constantly be distracted by a billion different things that will call you, whether it be noise, whether it be hurry, whether it be crowds, whether it be people, whether it be things, whether it be hobbies, whatever it is. You, got, you have to recognize that. Now, you could be okay for a season, but guys, in time, the poverty of strength within us will show, and it is showing in a lot of churches and a lot of people around the world. There is no rebuilding, no revival, no renewal, no restoration apart from the word of God. And the more we're distracted, the less we will desire because love for the word of God is an acquired taste. But look at the desire. Once they set aside all the distractions and they come to the word of God, look at, look at the desire. They, they told Ezra, Bring out the book. It's like coming to a concert. You ever go to a concert and you're like 30 minutes early and the clock, the, the countdown is coming and there's 10 minutes left, five minutes, and you start, and the countdown gets to zero and you're like screaming for the band to come out. You're like, where are they? Where are they? Where's you 2 Where's Chris Tomlin? Where's the Harvest Praise team? Where are they? You're wondering where they are. You're calling for them to come out. That's what they're saying. They're like, we're here. Bring out the book. We want the word of God. They're longing for it. They're hungering for it. Verse 3, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. So understand this. Some of you guys, sometimes we have these all-church worship services that are bilingual, and some of y'all don't like it. You have to understand, when they say bring out the book, 
They're saying, bring it out because we don't have it. We don't have it here. We don't have it on our phones. It's not like today when Ezra read the word of God for six hours and everybody else followed along on their iPhone, choosing whatever language, whatever version they wanted. It wasn't like that. In those days, the word of God was written in Hebrew. You understand this. But being in Babylon, they no longer spoke Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic. And so they're speaking a different language. Ezra is reading in a language that they don't know for six hours. And so you've got these other people on stage whose names we cannot pronounce. They're translating it into a language that they understand. And then you've got other people who are walking around and they're explaining what the word of God means. For six hours. This is missions. And for those of you who don't like those all church worship services, you need to learn so that you can become a missionary, so that you can sit in worship services and not fall asleep when you go to a foreign nation. Because it's all training and preparing us that we might be able to be change makers in the world. They're here for six hours and they're worshiping God. And they're like, man, we're all in in this. It says they listened attentively to the word of the Lord. I think for the most part, we do a pretty good job. Like I, I go maybe 40, 45, 50 minutes, and we do a pretty good job. People who come to our church and they preach say, your people listen so well. I think that's awesome. But there are some churches where they go routinely an hour and a half preaching alone. I'm not talking about, not talking about the whole sermon. African-American churches, two hours. Like they go an hour, and then the preacher says, I'm just getting started. And the congregation, they're not like, dang, I got to go to Chipotle. For, they're not saying that. They're like, preach, pastor, preach. It's crazy. This week, this week our, 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 our daughter, Manny, um, she, went to, um, she went to be a, a, a mystery reader at our, uh, at our little one, four-year-old Elisa's preschool class. So at the preschool, they have different parents come and, or, or older siblings come, and no one knows who it's going to be on any given day. So Manny would come, and, and uh, they opened the door like, guess who the mystery reader is today? And in walks Manny, and all the kids are like, Elise, Elise, it's your sister, your sister, and your dad came, your dad. And everyone is like excited, and they're cheering. And, and so we come, and they have three chairs for us, one for, I think one for Elise, one for me, and one for Manny. And I sit on the chair because I'm going to hold the book as Manny reads it. Um, I forget what the, we had, th we brought th uh, two books. Uh, I forget what the first one was. I uh, forget what the first one was, but as soon as I sat down, these kids were like, yeah, read us a book, read us a book. These kids were sitting, they're, they're all sitting on the floor. There's one boy, Jeremy, the little, little pudgy boy, he's sitting in the back, and he comes all the way to the front, and he's like staring at me, and like I'm breathing on him. He's like, yeah, high five me, high five me. So I'm like giving him a high five, and other kids are like coming up. They're like, what are you going to read us? What are you going to read us? What are you going to read us? And, and I said, today we're going to read I forgot the name. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to read that. And, and so we started reading, and as Manny was reading, at random points, this one little girl, she's like, yeah, <laughs> laughing when it's not even that funny. Like, yeah. So we finished that book in like five minutes. We're done with that book. It's like, read us another one. Read us another one. What's the other one that you brought? And we were a little bit, a little bit saddened because we brought uh, a book called The Very Hungry Caterpillar, but right next to us on the easel, there was a large version of the Very Hungry Caterpillar. And Manny said, we brought a Very Hungry Caterpillar, 
but you already have it here. They're like, read it again. Read it again. The teacher's like, shall we use this large, life-size version? They're like, yeah, we don't care. Just read it. And so we're holding up this big version, turning the pages, and they know everything in the story, but they're like laughing as if it's the first time. They're like, ah, look how fat he is. Why is he so fat? And then we turn the page, and they're like, wow, a butterfly, a butterfly. He became a butterfly. And they were loving it. And we said, that's all we have. It's time for us to go. And as we're leaving, these boys were trying to give us high fives again as we're leaving because we read to them. And then after we left, there was another man named Mr. Sean. And they're like, can you read us another book? And so he went in and he read another book. And I thought to myself, man, what would it look like if on Sunday morning, instead of everyone sitting at the back, People are, like, coming up to the front, like, yeah, preach to us, high five, tell us another one, yeah, go to, keep going, chapter 9, chapter 10, keep going. That would be awesome. And then when I leave, it's like, hey, get someone else, Seho, Eugene, can you come and preach us something else? Wouldn't that be awesome? If that's how much we desired the word of God. How is your desire for God's word? We recently bought three fish for our children. Nanny, she named hers Coral. Elijah, uh, I forget what he named his. And then Elise, she, she named hers Eliana Sophia. That's hers. <laughs> we said, you need to take care of your fish. Uh, Manny would take care of hers religiously. Three times a day, she would feed coral. Elijah, do you want me to feed your fish? Yes. Elise, do you want me to feed your fish? Yes. So she would feed the others. After about a few weeks, Manny's was doing really well, but Elijah's and Elise weren't doing so well. In time, both of these two, their fishes died. I'm not sure that they really cared about it, but... Olivia said to me, can you dispose of them before they come back home? And so I had a funeral, flushed them down the toilet, and Elise came home, and she's like, where's my fishy? <laughs> where's my fishy? I said, fishy is swimming with other fish. Don't worry about it. Next day, she would say the same thing. But we knew that these fish were on their last gills. You know how we knew? Because when we'd put food in, they would look at it, and they would swim away from it. You know that someone's sick, but there's no appetite, no desire for food. And you know, when you're sick, the first sign that you're getting better is you start having an appetite again for food. How's your desire, child of God, for the word of your father that can rebuild your life? We're so distracted by so many things that there's no desire left for the things of God because we've given so much to the things of the world. Rebuilding will only happen through the Word of God. Can you make a decision today? I'm going to get into the Word of God. Not these other things, not drinking ketchup alone, but ketchup with my French fries so that I can grow. It's the first thing. Rebuilding can't happen apart from the Word of God. Second thing that we see, God's Word will bring you God's joy which is your strength. Okay, God's word will bring you God's joy, which is your strength. Look at what it says in verse 10. Love this verse. 
Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's pretty sweet, isn't it? I want to kind of work backwards here. Strength, joy, joy of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Anyone need strength today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need strength too. Boy, I need strength. This week we had so many graduations, right? So many graduations. I need strength. Lord, I need strength. Maybe you need strength because you got, you're, you're um, no, you don't need strength if you're in school. You're pretty much done with school. But hey, for two days you need strength in order to carry all the thank you cards that people are giving to you. I don't know why you need strength. Maybe at work, maybe in your family, maybe there's like some, some kind of battle going on. You ever see that, that, that five-hour energy commercial where it's got like a battery meter over people's heads and, and they're, they're all like different situations and there's this like young father and he's got this baby, dark room, he picks baby up in the crib, he's like doing like this. He's like, I, I don't know what exactly he says, but it says 14% over his head. He's like, I need energy or something like that. And then uh, next scene, there's this lady. She's at a desk, work desk, and piles of work. It's like three straight nights of overtime. I haven't slept at all. It's like 32%. I need strength. <laughs> it's like all these different scenes. If you had a battery meter over your head, what would that meter say? So these people go and Someone gives them a five-hour energy. They drink it, 100%, and they're like all happy. This is awesome. What is your meter? And don't you wish there was a five-hour energy for your soul? I'm at 14%, man. I'm at 14%. So you take this thing, and you drink it, and then you get filled up. Yeah, I'm ready to go. He tells you what this is. It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, our world can understand this. Our world can understand the connection between joy and strength. Because people who are joyful typically tend to have strength. So you, you, you meet a couple, they start dating for the first time. Or you've got this friend, right, this, this guy friend, and he um, likes this girl, right? And all of a sudden, they start dating. This guy, used to always, he used to always be with you, always hang out late with you. But all of a sudden, he's gone, nowhere to be seen anymore. We call people like that GOP, gals over pals, right? And so he chose the gals over pals, and he left you. So he's hanging out with this girl, and all of a sudden, he's like so happy, like so giddy. He's only slept three hours at night, but he's, so, he's always laughing. He's like pushing you around, ah, ha, ha, making all these jokes. You're like, dude, what's wrong with you, man? You only slept three hours. He's like, I don't know why I'm so happy, but I don't feel tired at all. Why? Because there's some kind of a joy in his life. And the joy of that girl became strength. Ah, but what happens? They're middle school. They're in high school. They break up. And all of a sudden, that joy is gone. What happens to that strength? That strength is gone also. Hey, you slept 10 hours. Let's go play now. Oh, I don't want to go anywhere. Why not? Aren't you? Dude, you got to get out of bed. No, I'm so tired. How are you tired? You slept 10 hours. I don't know. All I want to do is sleep. Why? Because when the joy is gone, the strength is gone. Any of you feel like your strength is gone? Can I ask you a diagnostic question? How's your joy meter? Because your joy meter runs parallel with your strength meter. 
But see, the joy of the world is, is different from the joy of God. The joy of the world is deeply emotional and deeply circumstantial. If you're happy, right, you got good things going on, yeah, there's your joy. But the joy of the Lord is different from that. The joy of the Lord is independent of circumstances. Did you know, oh my goodness, that that same guy and that same girl, if he finds his hope in Christ, even though that girl ditches him, even though that boy ditches her, they can still find strength because of the joy of the Lord that does not depend on their present situation. Do you know of this kind of joy? Do you know of this kind of joy? That's the reason Paul, writing from a jail cell, can say, hey, guys, rejoice in the Lord always, always, not just when you're out of jail, but when you're in jail, not just when you're eating well, when you got no food, not just when you're around people, your friends and family, but even when you're alone. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you're like, what would you say, Paul? You say rejoice. He says rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4, 4. I'll say it again in case you ain't hearing me. Rejoice. Because he's saying the joy of the Lord is possible independent, irregardless of your present situation. This can change your life. This is a game changer here if you understand this. That you can have joy and therefore you can have strength regardless of what's going on in the here and now. That's crazy. Where does this joy of the Lord come from? It comes from the word of God comes as you are deeply grounded and committed to the Word of God. See, it's quality time in the Word of God that cannot be had apart from quantity time in the Word of God. But you spend time in the Word of God, this begins to soak into your soul and saturate your spirit, then his joy begins to rise up within you. And then, even though you're having a crummy week, even though you're having a terrible month, even though you're having a terrible year, the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. Because, you see, a dusty Bible will lead to a discouraged heart. A dusty Bible will lead to a divided heart. A dusty Bible will lead to depressed heart, dysfunctional relationships. You name it, whatever D word you want to say, that comes because our Bibles are gathering dust. But you get the word of God into you, then the joy of the Lord begins to infect and infuse your soul so that his joy becomes your strength. How does this happen? Yeah, it's, it's supernatural, it's organic. The more you get into it, you encounter Jesus in the Word. But there's a couple things that he says here, a couple examples of how this actually works out and plays itself out. As they're reading, verse 9 says, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. We... We have some people in our congregation uh, that like to cry during our worship service. Uh, we call them the Splash Zone Sisters or Splash Sisters to be short. They like to cry. But here he's saying, all the people, all the people were weeping as they heard the word of God. They were mourning. Why were they crying? They were mourning over what? Whenever we read the word of God, so when you make a commitment, I'm going to spend time in the Word of God, three questions that you could ask yourself every time you read the Word of God, at whatever passage you ask yourself, what is this teaching me about God? 
what is this teaching me about me or about people? And what is this teaching me about the God-man, Jesus? If you can answer these three questions, then you will always be able to find the joy of the Lord in the Word of God. He says, don't mourn. Why are they mourning? What is this telling us about God? It says that God is holy. He's perfect. His law is the standard. Not your law, not my law. It's not I'm telling you to do this, therefore do this. It's his law. As they hear the word of God, they're realizing God is holy. He's perfect. What are they learning about themselves? So we're not. Man, we stink. We're awful. They realize the massive eternal gap between God and his holiness and me and my brokenness, and they begin to mourn, and they begin to weep over their sin. There ought to be times when we weep over our sinfulness as we hear the Word of God exposing that within our hearts. We read the Word of God and we're just broken. Every command speaks of the character of God. Don't steal. What does this tell us about God? That God does not steal. That God is honest. That God is a respecter of all things. What? Do not lie. Why? Why shouldn't we lie? Because it's telling us that God is a God of truth. Why shouldn't I covet somebody else's stuff? Because this is who God is. God doesn't get jealous because of his own insecurity. The reason God gets jealous is because it's for your benefit that you love him and you love him only. Everything about God. This is, so who is God? We begin to realize God's holiness. They begin to realize God's holiness. We begin to realize their sinfulness. But he says, do not mourn, do not weep. Instead, rejoice, for the joy of the Lord will be your strength. How do we do that? They didn't know that. They, they, he just told them, hey, don't, don't, don't mourn, be happy. And they were. But on this side of the cross, we can ask, what does this tell us about the God-man? tells us that Jesus said the same thing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Why? It wasn't like that any time before Jesus. But with the advent of Jesus, when you mourn, you will be comforted. Mourning will turn to joy because Jesus came in order to not only bear the consequences of your sin, but he came to bring you joy. We mourn when we look at our sin, but we rejoice when we look at our Savior. And every time we read the Word of God, we've got to see our Savior. We realize the depth of my brokenness and my sin, but we don't stop there. We go beyond that, and our hearts are smitten by an amazing grace that causes thankfulness and joy to rise up from our hearts. The Word of God never ends with the law. It always moves to gospel, and through that we find joy, and through that we find strength. But then he goes and he gives another example here. Okay? How does the word of God bring joy? Another example here. He talks about the Feast of Tabernacles. We read in, in verse 2 that it was the seventh month, the first day, and as they're reading the word of God, they realize it's the seventh month, of the, seventh, uh, the, seventh month the first day is the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they had to get all these tree branches, and they had to make these tree houses, make these shelters, and the Feast of Tabernacles was a week-long celebration where they would just camp out. They would camp out, and the rabbinical teaching said that you have never seen any joy like the joy of the Israelites during the Feast of the Tabernacles. In other words, something would happen during that week-long celebration, just so happens to be the time in which they're reading the Word of God. Something happens within that time that causes an explosion of joy out of the hearts of the people. What is it? Because we need that joy because that's our strength. He tells us in the word of God. What is it that they do? 
they would set up these tents. So if you can imagine, we're in the holy city right now, and all our families are getting together, and we're pitching tents, and we're building shelters and making tree houses, and we're going into each other's tree houses, and this is mad fun, and there's all kinds of food. Why are they doing that? The rains would come, and the winds would come, and it would like huff and puff and threaten to blow their house down, but they're still happy, they're laughing, they're filled with joy. Why? Not because of what's happening simply in the present. You remember, the world's joy is all about the here and now, but the Feast of the Tabernacles was not about what's happening right now. Feast of the Tabernacles was looking back at God's faithfulness to the people of God as they wandered through the wilderness. And as they in the wilderness would pitch these tents, they were reminded each year at the feast that this is what we did and this is how we lived. And it felt like we were in here forever and ever and ever. What does this tell us about God? That God is endlessly patient. What does this tell us about ourselves? That we complain, we grumble, we stink, we deserve judgment. We wander around what should have been a day trip turned into 40 years. We are lost without God. That's what it tells us. But what are they realizing? Why can they find joy? They realize that even though we were awful, even though we hated God, we complained against him, God was endlessly patient with us. And no matter what the present situation looks like, God will never leave us. He will never abandon us. He will never forsake us. And therefore, whatever we're going through right now, we can still find joy. And because of that, we can be strong in him. See, joy, the Lord's joy, is never rooted in what's going on right now. You see that? It's always rooted in the past and what God has done for us, and it's rooted in the future and what God will do for us. They realize that even in the shadow of a new city that they've built to be called their home, they're realizing that this world is not our home. The brokenness of this life will one day be done away with. This is not our home. These temporary tents that we pitch are going to give way to an eternal home that far outshines anything in this world. The joy of the Lord has nothing to do with what you or I are going through right now, has nothing to do with the illness that you're facing, has nothing to do with the brokenness in your family, has nothing to do with the circumstances that you got in the mail the other day, has nothing to do with that, has nothing to do with your job or where you are in life or how badly your children seem to be doing. The joy of the Lord is independent of any present circumstances, has everything to do with the faithfulness of God in your past and that being a promise of the faithfulness of God in the future. If God has given you past grace, it is always a promise that there will be future grace that God gives to his people as well. Nothing to do with what you're dealing with or going through right now. The world's joy does, and that's why it fades, and that's why strength fades. But he says, don't mourn. Look up, look up, look up, because there is a Savior named Jesus who knew the cross was coming. But it says, the Lord Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. Why? says, for the joy set before him. Why? What joy is there in dying and being nailed to a cross? What joy is there in becoming a man of sorrows, taking the weeping and the mourning that we deserve? What joy is there to take the punishment of God upon himself? What joy is there in the cross? It's not about the present who for the joy set before him because he knew that future glory was coming not only to him but to all of us. 
The reason why weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning is because we ask that third question, what does this tell me about Jesus? It tells us everything, that Jesus is our joy, that he is our joy, that he is our joy. Jesus, others, you, Jesus is our joy. When he becomes first in our lives, through the word of God, as it begins to soak our hearts and soak our souls, then his joy can become our strength. You need strength today? Get connected with the joy of the Lord. Plug into that. Get charged in that. You need his joy today? Get into the word of God. Get into the word of God. Here he speaks his words of love, his words of life, his words of joy that nothing can, can take away and that nothing in this world can give. We need this word to rebuild our lives. We need it to rebuild our church. Needed to build our families. All right, let's get into the word. Let's get into the word. Let's start today. Let's pray. Guys, how much we need the word of God. Present situations, if not today, are going to come that cause us to question or doubt our strength, question or doubt God's love, question or doubt God's goodness, his ability, his power. But if we make a habit now to get into the word of God, what does it say about God? What does it say about me? What does it say about Jesus who brings good news? Then we will, our hearts will be strengthened and joy will begin to permeate our lives so that in those times where we need the strength of God the most, it will be there ready for us. Hardship will always test. Hardship will always test our commitment to the word of God and our experience of the joy of the Lord. Let's get into his word now, people of God. Let's get into the word of God. Let's build our lives upon him. Let's pray together for a few moments. Let's make a commitment. Lord Jesus, I'm going to shun distraction every day at 6 o'clock, even if it means me sleeping at 11 at night, at 6 o'clock every day. I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to wash my face, get some coffee, and I'm going to give unhindered, unhurried time in the Word. I need it that much. Lord, I need you. Let's pray together for a few moments. Make a commitment to walk with the Lord God. Let's pray together. Some of us in here, you may have never put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior and to be your Lord. The joy of the world is different from the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord comes as an inheritance to those who have trusted Christ. Today can be that day you put your trust in Jesus. Just acknowledge that you are 
a sinner in need of God. Acknowledge that you believe Jesus died in your place to forgive you and to give you hope in heaven. To say, Jesus, I need you. Be my master. Be my forgiver. Change me. Live in me. <coughs> Make that prayer right now as well. Just for another minute, right? Another few moments, let's pray. Lord, I need you. Fill me up, oh Lord God. Strengthen me in your word, in your joy. Let's pray for a couple more moments. Father in heaven, we, we've been going to church for some time. We've heard for all of our days in church that we've got to be in the Word of God. We've got to pray. Father, so often it just becomes part of the noise that we hear, crowded out by the crowds of other stuff push to the side because we're in a hurry to get from one place to the next. And then when our lives need it the most, we need strength the most, we realize that our joy is lacking. We realize that the word of God is lacking in us. Father, have mercy on us and forgive us for ignoring the great love letter that you've written to your children. We want that. We want to know your love. So help us to make a commitment here and now. Say, Jesus, I will hear from you. Set aside the time to be in your word. Ask, what's it say about God and about me and about Jesus, my Savior? And Lord, from that place, we pray that our church would grow to become a people of your word, people of the joy of the Lord, which would be strength to us. Help us. We need you. We love you. Because you've loved us first. We pray this in Jesus' name.